Well, as we continue in this series, Approachable, I want to remind you that we are dealing with people that ask Jesus questions or questions that Jesus asked that demanded a response or a thought or an answer. The message we're going to look at uh, in this hour is called the danger of pointing fingers. The danger of pointing fingers. Boy, do we know how to do that. And we're in Matthew's gospel in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, of the blessed life, of how to pray, the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, not the, the model prayer, uh, not the Lord's Prayer, which is John 17, but the model prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. This is all in the context in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, how Christians are supposed to live. Our nation, and, I, you know, I'm in my mid-60s. I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen our nation like it is today. It is troubling what is going on. It is troubling that we are not learning lessons or have not learned lessons from history. It is troubling that we are ignoring things based out of personal preference or the way we were raised. And so what's developing in our country is this mean-spirited judgmentalism that has nothing to do with the Christian life. You know, I thought growing up in the 60s uh, that by now we would have gotten better. And I've lived long enough to know this. Depravity does not have an expiration date. Men and women, boys and girls are depraved. And the only way to be delivered from our depravity and our depraved thinking, ungodly thinking, is by a renewed mind in Jesus Christ. What we know is because of social media, because of the news media, because of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything else and entertainment that a few people can seem like millions and people are trying to get a following for any and every cause and everything becomes a cause and, and people open up wounds and remind us that we have a long way to go. I quit saying a long time ago that America is a Christian nation. We are not a Christian nation because we would not act the way we're acting if we were a Christian nation. We may have been founded on some biblical principles, but we have long since forsaken those. The Ten Commandments may hang in the walls of Congress. The, the face of Moses may be on the back wall, but the lawgiver has been ignored by the lawmakers of the 21st century and the 20th century. Some of us who lived through the riots of the Vietnam War and the peaceful protests of the Civil Rights Movement are wondering when we will ever learn and when we will ever stand up and be Jesus' people in this world. None of us can afford to respond in our flesh. We can't let the media our social media, our politicians, 
or people with an agenda that is not based on a Christian worldview, whatever that agenda is. We cannot let them set the tone of the church and of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. He shares his glory with no one. He shares his power with his people, and he expects his people to set the tone, to be salt and light. We have to be the church. When the world is at its worst, the church has to be at its best. We should not be in the church if we were in revival and living in the overflow of the presence of Christ, we shouldn't have to be talking to our children about some of the things we're having to talk to them about. But because the church is not living like Jesus and has way too much religion and not enough Jesus, we are a non-entity in our culture. We are pushed to the sidelines. We are ignored. Nobody is calling from City Hall or anywhere else to say, what does the church believe? Does Jesus have an answer to our crisis? You know, Andre Crouch wrote a song years ago, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. He still is. And I know even when I say that, it sounds simplistic and you need, you're living in a bubble, and you're living in la-la land, and you don't believe the word, and you don't live in reality. Listen, Jesus lived under the most oppressive empire of his time. His people had been enslaved. They lived in the bondage of Roman oppression, where a Roman soldier could beat anybody without reason, could demand that you carry a pack, further than the law said you had to carry it. They could arrest you for no... That's the world that Jesus lived in. This world that we live in is not a surprise to God. It is a sign of sin and self and depravity. And the devil is laughing at us because the church is backpedaling instead of storming the gates of hell. So what do we need to do as God's people? How do we need to respond? Before we point fingers, we need to look in the mirror. So look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar or Hebrew scholar to understand what that means. So that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. In other words, Jesus says, the way you talk, act, think about other people, that's going to come back to haunt you. If you measure out hatred, if you measure out envy, if you measure out strife, if you measure out slander, then you're going to be judged by the standards that you've judged other people by. Not by the law, but by standards that you've created on your own. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your, eye, your own eye? You hypocrite. That's about as strong as it's going to get. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. 
So first point, take a breath before you speak. I mean, there's sometimes when I might start to type a tweet and I just need to look at it for a minute and say, is that really what I want to say? Do I want that out there in Twitter world? And I'll just hit cancel. Sometimes I'll hit save as a draft and then look at it a day later and go, no, that's not really what I want to say. I've said some things on Twitter I shouldn't have said through the years. And you always get likes and you always get followers and you get people who don't follow you based on what you say. So we have to be careful. Take a breath. We need to learn these lessons that these are words for followers of Christ. Jesus is talking to people that want to be Jesus people, Christ followers, disciples of the living Lord. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to us. Because if we don't get this right, we can't expect the world to see any difference in us. These words are not optional, depending on how we were raised. Listen, I was raised in the Deep South. I was raised in the Bible Belt. I was raised with some people that did not have godly attitudes that went to church. And I am so tired of people that bow up every time something pricks at them or gets a burr under their saddle and say, well, this is the way I was raised. Well, you need to get how you were raised sanctified. You need to put it under the blood of Jesus because how you were raised has nothing to do with the fact except that you're a lost sinner and if you don't get Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And that's how you were raised. You were raised as a depraved human being and without the grace of God that you would be born again, you're going to die and go to hell. No matter how much religion you got. So, I chased that rabbit, now I'm going to get back. Probably no phrase in the Bible is more misused and misquoted than verse 1 of chapter 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. How is that misused and misquoted? Lost people use it. You know, you go say, hey, you know what? You should give your heart to Jesus. Don't judge me. That's what all you Christians do is you judge us. Lost people use it. Christians can't judge. You have no right to judge when you go to correct a Christian who's living in sin. Say, hey, you know what? I noticed something and you're causing your brothers to stumble. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? I don't have a problem with it. God hadn't convicted me of it. Well, have you ever prayed about it? You know, the Bible says you're not supposed to do this. Don't judge me. I'm at peace with this. We all judge politicians, teams, sermons, teachers, preachers, sports, customer service. We all are judges, and we judge every day. It's a proliferation of things we judge that sometimes we just need to let go. When Jesus said, do not judge, he did not mean what our culture means, when people use that phrase. Here's what I believe the context is. A critical spirit will sour the life and witness of a believer. A critical spirit will sour the life and the witness of a believer. When we're always judging and never asking God to judge our hearts, it sours us, we become jaded. We become cynical. We become mean. 
We become angry. We become bitter. We harbor bitterness in our heart because of the way somebody treated us 20 years ago, two days ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And we carry that, and then we judge what everybody's saying to us, even those well-intentioned and even those people that love us, we judge them based on what somebody else did. This is a serious warning from Jesus that we need to hear and heed. We live in a world where it seems at the top of the list, the agenda for people breathing on this planet is to destroy other people, their character, their life, their reputation on social media. We love to distract people from our sins by pointing out other people's sins. We love to go on the defensive by calling people names. So we protect ourselves, we think. We think pulling someone down and wallowing in the mud has become a national pastime. Listen, when you sling mud, you're losing ground. It, it's not helping. We gossip, we slander, we bear false witness, we tell half the story, we tell half the truth. Why do we do it? This is important. It's a symptom of our own guilt. It's a symptom of our own guilt. Something in our sin nature enjoys tearing people down. And you know what we really enjoy in that? And I've done this, you've done this, all God's people have done this. Is the more people we can get to agree with us, the more we think we're right. The more agree with us, the more we think we're right. You can't build yourself up tearing people down. Jesus is addressing this fervor, this enthusiasm, this zeal, this passion to go after other people and to judge them. You see, the very act of judging a speck in someone else's eye is the proof that you have a log in your own eye. I, I would suggest, and a couple of commentators agree with me on this, I would suggest that Jesus is using a little sarcasm and a little humor here to illustrate his point. Just put yourself in it. Maybe there was a big log that you could pick up. And so he picks it up and he says, you know, you got a log in your eye and he's turning around and he, maybe he calls one of the disciples over and says, hey, Simon Peter, come over here. I see this little speck in your eye I want to deal with. And he kind of bumps Peter upside the head with the log. Jesus is saying, think about this image. You can't get close enough to somebody to see the speck in their eye when you have a log in your own eye. That's impossible. A man with a log going after somebody with a speck is nuts. The man with a log is clueless how big his problem really is. If you got a log in your eye, you can't get close enough to say, hey, you know what? I know what your problem is. You ever met people like that? I've met people like that. I, I know what your problem is. Let me tell you, I've, I've been watching you. I know what your problem is. I got a log 
and they're looking for a speck. Why do we judge others? Well, first of all, I'm not the only one. Don't point fingers at me. There are other people worse than me. And one of the reasons we judge others is to justify ourselves. I tell you, yeah, I may have a bad attitude. I may have a little prejudice, but I'm not as prejudiced as those people. I may be a little bit of a racist, but I'm not as much of a racist as those people. I may have a little bit of hatred, but I don't hate as much as those people. I'm not as bad as other people. Other people are not the standard of measurement. Christ is the standard of measurement. The spirit-filled life is the standard of measurement. The comparison between the works of the flesh and the fullness of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, is the measurement. We cannot build ourselves up by tearing other people down. And you know why we do it? This is what I think. I think it's birthed in envy. And envy ultimately turns to hate. Let me just give you some examples. When Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted, Cain couldn't stand it, so he had to go after his brother. Saul tried to kill David because of envy. He was jealous of David's popularity. So the only way to deal with David was to try to destroy David. The elder brother hated the fact that the father threw a feast for the prodigal when he returned home, so he lashed out at his father. It was the fear, the sin of the Pharisees, that they could not stand that the people loved Jesus, who they considered not a very good rabbi and just a carpenter's son, and in no way was he the Messiah. So second point, take a look in the mirror before you point at someone else. Now, we don't have time to go in the book of James, but that illustration is in the book of James. This, this is a Greek present imperative in Matthew. It means don't get into the habit of being judgmental. In other words, catch yourself. When you do it, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, you catch me and you stop me. And if I go ahead and do it, Lord, I need to repent and I want to repent. I don't want to let this attitude build up in my life. Being judgmental impacts my life and other people's, and it impacts my relationship with the Father. The same verb for judge is used in Romans 14.10. Look at Romans 14.10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all... Notice the word all. Stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, in the context of judging and accountability, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I'm accountable for my actions. I'm accountable for my attitudes. I'm accountable for how I treat other people. And hey, I can look back over my life and I can look at times when I've blown this, but if I look back and excuse it, I'm going to give an account of that. If I look back and ask God to forgive it, it's covered by the blood. But if I justify it or excuse it, I'm going to give an account of that when I had the opportunity to take it to Jesus and to do something about it. Paul is addressing the weak believer when he says, 
Why are you judging your brother? And it is addressing the strong believer. Why are you showing contempt for your brother? Both strong and weak will stand before God because God is the only one that can judge fairly. This particular word for judge is used at least 10 different ways in the New Testament, and context is always the key. Here in Matthew 7, he's addressing the critical self-righteous spirit. And what does he say? He says we can expect to be judged in the same way we judge others. God is not saying, Jesus is not saying, we don't have a right to think about things being right or wrong. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying what's right to you may not be right to me, but we're both right. He is not saying what's true for you may not be true for me, but it's both true. There is right and there is wrong. That's not being judgmental. That's acting responsibly on the revealed word of God. God does not speak and stutter. He speaks truth, and he has conditions and laws. We break those laws, we suffer. We honor those laws, we are blessed. We cannot be judge and jury and at the same time say, Lord, I sure hope you bless me. I sure hope you bless me. I hope you'll excuse my behavior because I'm not as bad as those people out there. Listen. We're all sinners. Some saved by grace and know it. Some saved by faith, grace and have forgotten it and don't show any grace. The speck and the plank and the law are meant to do this, to intentionally exaggerate how absurd it is to point fingers while at the same time ignoring our own issues. He's exaggerating. He's using this exaggerated illustration to show us how absurd it is to point fingers when we're ignoring our own issues. Because we're looking, you know why we look for specs? Because that's what we want to do. Find other people's problems. I mean, that's just our old sinful fleshly nature. I want to find what's wrong with you and point it out. Because when I do, I strut. When I do, I'm full of pride. But when somebody points out mine, oh, I can bow up and I can get defensive. Jesus says, you need to remember who the real judge is here. We can all see the log. No, we can't. Because if we saw the log, we would do something about it. A speck you have to go looking for. And there's nothing less like Jesus than a critical spirit. Now, did Jesus rebuke and confront the Pharisees? Yes. And we need to sometimes. But we need to remember when we confront, there but for the grace of God go I. And in fact, some people believe that Jesus is warning them to don't become a Pharisee. Don't become like those Pharisees over there who are always judging who they think is spiritual and who they think is not. Why do we search for specs? Because we hope we can find something wrong with other people and make ourselves sleep better at night. Isn't that what Job did? Uh, Satan did to God with Job? You know, 
God says he's blameless and upright and fearing God. And, and Job says, yeah, yeah, well, let me judge him. Satan said, I'll judge him. I'll tell you why he's blameless and upright and fearing God, because you've protected him. You, took th- you take things away from him and watch how quickly he, he just cusses you. You, you go after him. You take that hedge of protection away from Job. You just watch, God. He, you may think he's blameless and upright and fearing God. You take that away and you see what happened. Can I tell you something? Satan is the chief spec inspector. He's always helping us see other people's specs. I've told this story before. It bears repeating. Layman Strauss told me one day that he was in a meeting Years ago, this is probably in the 1960s, and they were, I think, out in California, and Billy Graham was speaking, and they had gathered for lunch, and and Layman was at the head table, and Billy Graham was there, and some of the people on the Billy Graham team were there, and some other preachers that were there at this conference, and they were gathered around, and somebody at the table said, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And they told about this minister who had fallen into sin and shamed the gospel, and embarrassed his family, and embarrassed the church, and damaged the kingdom. And he's just going on and on. And he stops, and everybody looked at Billy Graham to see what Billy Graham would say. And Graham was quiet for a moment, and he said, you know, that man preached the greatest message on the second coming I've ever heard. And then people just started piling on. Said, Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham, did you not hear what this man has done? This man has done all these things. He shamed the gospel. Did you not hear what we said? And I'm paraphrasing Billy Graham. He said, I heard what you said. But it doesn't change the fact that he preached one of the greatest messages I've ever heard on the second coming. What was Billy Graham doing? He wasn't throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He remembered the good. When everybody was ready for him to judge so they could quote him that he was being judgmental, he chose not to. Now the last point, and there is a long set of notes from John Phillips on take your motives to the master. I need to ask the Lord to show me what's really in my heart to make sure that my motives are right. Again, some people believe that Jesus is warning his disciples not to be like the Pharisees. Now, in the, in the, in the previous message in this approachable series, we close with talking about Mary pouring out the perfume on Jesus' feet. And if you remember that, it was, it was expensive, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. And if you remember that story in Mark 14, immediately Judas begins to criticize her and say, oh, 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 think what we could have done with that money. This is from the mouth of a man who is stealing from the treasury of Jesus. The coins that were collected to help the poor and to provide for the disciples. Judas was the treasurer and he was a thief. Judas didn't care about helping the poor. He thought, man, I could take that when nobody was looking. I could go down to a 
store and I could sell that vial, put some money in my pocket and put the rest in the bag and nobody would know the difference. Judas was like that, Ananias and Sapphira were like that. By the way, I have discovered in my life that some of the people that are the most critical of the church are the people that don't tithe and give. They criticize that which they have no part in except their name is on a piece of paper. They haven't paid for anybody to go to camp. They haven't paid for the seat that they sit in. They haven't paid for the parking space that their car is in. And you watch somebody that starts really going after, ah, oh, we shouldn't have spent that money on that, and we shouldn't have spent that money on that. Watch the heart. You don't have to go respond. Just watch the heart. And I would bet you money that there's a thief in your midst because they are robbing from God, but to cover it up, they get loud. And by the way, that happens with people who are living in incestuous relationships, abusive relationships, adulterous relationships. They get real loud about other people's stuff. That's why we're supposed to look in the mirror and take our motives to the master. Is our motive in correcting anyone to help them to be more like Jesus or to make us look better? That's the question. Clovis Chapel said, the habit of fault finding has a way of putting out our eyes. The fault finder is never a dependable fact finder. To seek the worst is to find the worst. Rarely do we find people who are fault finders who are quick to be repentant. Now, if you've got your Bible there, turn quickly to Ephesians 4, 25. And Ken Bevel preached on these a, a few weeks ago, but I want to read Ephesians 4, 25. I'll extended. Uh, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one. In other words, you don't deny the truth. You speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Well, we need to see that in today's world. So that it will give grace to those who hear. In the context of how we speak is verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So quickly, there are four warnings that will help us avoid finger-pointing. Paul is using this illustration of changing clothes, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, taking off these old attitudes and putting on new attitudes. So here are the four warnings. The world speaks lies 
You speak truth in love, verse 25. The world speaks lies. You speak truth in love. The second one, the world is driven by anger. You resolve conflicts quickly, verses 26 and 27. The third one, the world steals and cuts corners. You live a life of integrity, verse 28. And the fourth warning is the world seeks to destroy others. You speak words that edify, verse 29. So we're to speak truth in love. We're to resolve conflicts quickly. We're to live a life of integrity. We're to speak words that edify. In other words, keep a short sin list. Stay confessed up. Stay filled with the Spirit. Be continually being filled. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed the day of redemption. So I want to close with a long quote from Chuck Swindoll. And man, I, I don't know when he wrote this, but it should be on the front page of the newspaper. We're immersed in a culture that feeds on deception and oozes with falsehood. That doesn't make our truth-telling mandate easy, does it? Some members of the media make their living stretching, shaping, spinning, and tweaking stories that might not have been quite as interesting without these little misleading or exaggerated tidbits inserted here and there to make you come back for more. Advertisements are known for lies. This is why there are consumer advocacy groups to do fact checks and government agencies to step in and say, enough is enough. And we are constantly bombarded by contradictory truth claims from cults and religious charlatans. In this tempest of falsehood, we Christians need to be tellers of the truth. Start at home, carry it to work, practice it with your neighbors, make it a part of your code of conduct. Let's pray. Lord, it is really, really easy to point fingers. It's easy just in our own flesh. It's easy when we're encouraged by others. It's easy when we don't back out of a conversation when we should. It's easy when we don't pray and ask you that the words of our mouth would be for edification and the building up of others and for kindness. Lord, this world needs a lot less finger-pointing and a lot more kneeling in your presence. Our tongues need to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we speak the truth in love, that we do not grieve your Spirit. Help us, Father, to break loose 
of the bondage of judgmentalism and a critical spirit so that we can be set free to love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.